Um, so he's finishing up his private. Yeah, he's said he's almost done with his private. At a one forty one so. or at a per sixty one. I don't know. Whatever. So like they got a college at, or whatever they got over at Larian County. Okay. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know exactly what they have, but I think most of it's part 61. Um, yeah. And that's great. A lot of, a lot of, um, either way, whether you can do, if he goes on to go to a 141 school, like at a college or somewhere with an approved syllabus by the FAA, it still is probably better. I don't know how much money you'd say, but probably some doing it, just at least getting the private out of the way that way. I mean, it just, just depends. Has he always wanted to fly? And now it's happening, uh, or no? I think it's kind of a newer thing. Okay, how old is he? Uh, I don't know. He's probably twenties, thirties, forties. Twenty, I'd say maybe. Okay, twenty. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got the world by the tail. I mean, right now with so if you look at projected mandatory retirements, is just mandatory retirements at the airlines. If you look at that, if you wanted to go that route, which I mean, I could make a case for other things but if you look at the mandatory retirements age 65 you know you're, you're that's peaking out in like 2030 and it depends on which airline you know like southwest for example has a very young pilot group their mandatory retirement ages is, is going to peak a little bit later and some of the more legacy carriers you know united american delta are going to have closer to that 2028 2032 somewhere in that range um they're going to have peak retirements you're talking like a thousand people a year mandatory have to retire at all those carriers. So him being yeah. his age, now he's going to have to buckle down and really get through some ratings and build some flight time. And maybe he can't even do that. But even if he catches the catches the backside of that and he's 30, because it's 2022, let's say he, he gets all his ratings over the next five years, gets the flight time, gets in at an air at a regional Spends a couple of years there getting his, you know, thousand hours of 121 time to be, you know, really, uh, what do I want to say, competitive at a major uh, or, you know, one of the larger low cost carriers, Spirit, Frontier, Allegiant. Um, I guess Southwest is kind of still considered a low cost carrier. Um, he would still be on the backside of that and only be 30 years old. Right. The average new hire class in any of the majors right now is like 45 years old. So he's gonna have a real long. He's gonna have a thirty-five year career potentially at one of the majors, and they're just throwing money at those guys. So, um, I mean, if he wanted to go that route, you could make a case, but it just depends on what he, what vision he has for his home life, those sorts of things. Which I, you know, I'd have to sit down and talk to him to really know. But we should so yeah, sit if down. If you want to make the most him. money, what's that? So we should so sit down and talk with him with mics in front of us. Yeah, yeah. Would he be willing to do this, Scott? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Is he on pilot ground? I don't know. I told him about it, but I feel like he's got a cousin that is like an owner of it, so he can probably sneak his way in there if he needs to. Yeah. Yeah. I could, uh, I'll, I'll talk to him again because he wanted to talk about using my plan to build some time. So I got to, I got to call him anyway. But okay. Get, yeah. Uh, see if he comes on the show. See if he can come I, on the show. Yeah. I just told him, like, if he wants to do it fast, then he should probably go to, like, one of those schools. What's the, you know, like, where they do everything quickly, not just, like, taking one or two lessons a week, you know? Yeah. I mean, 
I totally understand how like you get started in the 61. You know, you don't know if you want to do it. You don't know if you can afford it. You don't know if you'll love it enough to make it a career. And then you just kind of, you, you like your instructor, you like living at home, all those sorts of things. You go to a 141, chances are you got to kind of move there, you know, for a, yeah. a couple months and knock out each rating, yeah. come back home. But a 141 is going to be way, way quicker. Yes. Right. Way more expensive, yeah. but yeah. way quicker. Yeah, way quicker. And then you need to have, uh, after that, so I would say 141 would be the way to go. Pretty much, if he knows he wants to do it for a living, one way or the other, 141 will get him the ratings the quickest. When he's done with that, he's going to have to figure out how to make money with it. Because he's, or not, not necessarily make money with it. Build the remainder of the hours left until he's competitive for whatever right, he's kind of determined which, his next stage is. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to want to a flying job to build those hours, not just renting a plane because that gets expensive. Absolutely. I, yeah, you're going to go broke doing that. Um, so he right. needs a – does the flight school he goes to, do they kind of have a track record of then hiring you back in as a CFI to continue, you know, building your hours and you're already indoctrinated into their system, how they do things. And that's just a really seamless transition for everybody. Or do you have to, you go through that program at that 141, they don't really have a, a nice uh, transition for you. So then you have to go pound the pavement, figure out your own, your own job, pipeline patrol or whatever it is, or, you know, go flight instruct somewhere else. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough, but there are so many flying jobs out there. So many flying jobs. It could go anywhere. Yeah. There's a there's what a are you smiling about Rob. There's a mutiny in the chat about how much they're learning about weather. So <laughs> we should Oh. Okay. All right. Weather sucks. Um. Okay. Bottom line is I can cover this in like two minutes. All right. If there's any weather at all, don't fly. Done. All if right. It's not calm, clear skies. Don't fly. Done. Covered. Yeah. We're starting this episode. I literally have no idea where I'm going to throw it after I do the intro, uh, other than to Lee or Scott. Um, and it's going to be something about weather. So here we go. Three, two, one. Okay. We're good. Uh, da, 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 da. So we're, we're talking about looking way down the runway, right? Or are you in the chat now? Are you engrossed yeah. already? Yeah, well, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Captain John Frost says... Lee, how much are you watching the triangular corner for your horizon and ground reference for landing? Um, so I'm short. So I don't know if you're new. I don't recognize, you know, your username or whatever, but I'm short. I'm five foot six, um, which although makes me fit in airplanes very well, it doesn't allow me to see necessarily very well. So and that may be why, you know, I've maybe adapted a little bit of a different technique in my like my uh, sight picture that I'm looking for. Now, luckily, there's other short people, obviously, that, that fly airplanes. So they've kind of built in. So like in a transport category airplane, we have what's called an eye height referencing device. So it's like three three balls if you were to see them. And if they're in line from your field of vision, that's correct eye height. And that's normally required for a category two landing. So if you're doing a landing with a hundred a hundred foot, and maybe you're not an IFR guy, or maybe nobody cares, but normally if you're doing an ILS, which everybody's pretty much heard of, um, you're on the glide slope and you're coming down. Normally you have a two hundred foot decision height, two hundred feet AGL decision height, 
And with a category two, you have a hundred, typically a 100 foot decision height, which, I mean, think about that. I mean, a hundred feet above the ground is when like, it's just crazy. So uh, you have obviously uh, runway visual range or visibility requirements there with the cat twos and the cat, cat ones that everybody's familiar with. But in order for a tall workout, you have to have this eye, ref, eye height referencing device. Like I am trying to throw it, show it on the camera here. They need to be in line. If they're if they're out, you know that you need to do something different with your seat position. And I don't I don't get that dialed in for a normal landing. I don't like have it because then I'd be way jacked up. And these airplanes are capable of doing that. But from when I learned in, you know, a Cherokee, you know, I did all my, most of my um, private pilot stuff in a warrior and that only had so much adjustment. So that like sight picture above the glare shield is kind of just what is built into me and where I had to see to get all of my cues from. So I've carried that, whether it be a, you know, a CRJ and ERJ, the Lear I'm flying now, the Lear I was flying before, the Saratoga, the Islander, all those things. Um, I've always tried to keep about the same amount of um, uh, the same sight picture, the same amount of the horizon above the glare shield um, in all of them. And it's worked out pretty good. So I, I don't, I guess none of that was even worth even talking about, but I don't look out, out, to the to the the sides of the of the windshield much than I'm aware of. I am I think I I don't I don't know a better way, but I'm a little bit mechanical in the way that I conduct my landings. I I really try to and I I try to convey this to students when I'm teaching or you know new guys that that I'm flying with uh doing IOE initial operating experience. When we're coming in, you try to separate the phases of the landing. So you're coming into land. You're all obviously, it should be a foregone conclusion that you're stabilized. On speed, on trim, the thrust is set right. You got your flaps and landing gear down. Everything should be just pretty much constant. You're minimizing variables as much as you can with what you can do in the airplane. Obviously, there's gusts and transient things and your airspeed will fluctuate and whatever, but you remain on glide path and you use your power to maintain kind of your airspeed. And we've had that debate a little bit too. Um, you know, people, you'll hear your instructor say pitch for airspeed, power for altitude. That's if you're just kind of like free floating in space, you know, or what doing a, a normal VFR landing and, trying to eke out performance for a glide or whatever the case may be. But when we're doing a glide slope oriented type instrument approach, you're going to have your pitch is going to be nailed. That's going to be pitch for glide path, power for airspeed. So it kind of creates an inverse relationship. But bottom line is you have all those things isolated, dialed in, and maybe the autopilot's on like it is from us most of the time. When I come in, and if I haven't already, when I hear minimum, so we always set in our minimums, whether it's VFR or hardcore IFR, we always set the minimums. So when minimums, if I'm lazy in every 30 days, I do like what I kind of consider a confidence check every 30 days. I'll fly the, when I fly this, if I haven't flown it in a while, I'll fly the airplane. I'll let the autopilot fly down to minimums down to, you know, the 200 feet AGL or so. And then I'll kick the autopilot off when it calls out minimums just to see how good it does. Cause I know like I want to check and make sure it does great on a VFR day and not find out on a bad day that it won't do what I want it to do. 
So I'll do this confidence check. And then at, mi at, at the latest, at minimums, I'll click the autopilot off and I'll hand fly it from there. And I, I divide the landing or the flare or whatever you want to say into like a couple steps to kind of make it manageable. So you have this, you know, descending towards the runway, then kind of your round out where you're resting your rated descent. And then basically moving in towards, especially for GA, moving into your flare where you're just kind of holding it off in ground effect, basically bleeding off speed until it touches down at hopefully about a zero feet per minute descent rate. That's going to give you the closer to zero, the smoother your landing is going to be. So I try to divide it up into those. And maybe because I do that, it allows me to look in closer. I don't need to look as far or vice versa. I don't know, but really, really, really long story short and a bunch of nonsense that I just said, I don't look out the, out the corners very much at all. So back to the site that you're picturing, is that like on a handgun iron sights, fixed sights on a, like a handgun, the three dots like Glock does. Sim very similar. Yep. Okay. Very similar concept. You don't worry about the left to right part, obviously, but yeah, you just want all three of theirs. There's three of them. There's only three of them because they want both people to be able to look from either side and get them lined up. You okay. would only really need two if you were only worried about one pilot or the other. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Makes sense. So it's only three so that you can look from the left or right seat and get it dialed in for category two approach. And that, that's only on aircraft that have category two approaches that have that feature? Well, we don't, we're not category two certified, um, but I don't know why that just happened. Um, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Everything transport category that I've ever flown has had it. I just I feel like that'd be helpful for just... But it's way up there, dude. Landings. It's way above my yeah, but it's way above my normal seat height. Okay, it would throw me off, and I would have to adapt to that new height, uh, seat height. If I at my height jacked it up so that it was level with mine, I would be way high. Okay, my normal. I'm I am about so. It's, I mean, it's a ball, and you're lining up two balls. So I am about a. It's showing about a ball low. So I'm a whole whatever graduation lower than what it says I should be for proper eye height. Okay. So you, you just, to, to be you just don't use this normal thing. for me. Okay. No. Gotcha. No. Well, you can still use it, it I guess. Like, you're just using it as yeah. long as you're consistent on what it looks like each time uh, you get in the seat. I barely factored in into my seat height. I'm looking. So one thing I will say is when you sit in that same seat for three or four hours, it compresses down that seat cushion. So pretty much when we're coming into land, I have to jack my seat up one more, one more, whatever notch. click. Notch. Yeah. In, in order. Yeah. One more notch to, to get it where I want it. Cause my, my weight on it, the heat you've made the, whatever the material more supple and it's compressed more. I always end up having to jack it up one more for landing. And sometimes I forget to do that. Sometimes I don't, I don't do it. And then I'm like, I'll be like on a short final. It's like two legs. Like, Oh, this is going to suck. You know, I forgot to adjust my seat and you just, yeah, it just happens. But yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I don't use it. I, I, I will sometimes just for grins or whatever, very rarely, I'll just look and see where I am in reference to that. Like, man, I'm way off. But when I look out straight, 
I like what I see. So I think the important thing is to be consistent with your sight picture. Mm, yes. And I think if, if you're consistent, that's more than half the battle. Even if you're not dead on with how that, in theory, the sight should be lined up. And I, I've noticed this, not in the 150, because it was just, you couldn't adjust that in that plane. But it, I forget when it when it happened to me. There was some plane I was flying semi-regularly that had the adjustments. And sometimes I'd just be nailing the landings. And sometimes it's just, I'm like, what is going on? Like, what on earth mm-hmm. is going on? And I finally figured out that it's just my seat position is affecting my sight picture. And just that one little step of making sure your sight picture and everything's dialed in, usually before you take off, because it's sometimes with the plane, with the way the seatbelt is, it's hard to adjust um, once you're flying it. But yeah, that's a sight picture is huge, huge factor. So if you're, you have hit or miss landings on some days and you're flying a plane that has a lot of adjustments in the seat, that could be a big factor. Um, There could be a seat position where everything's dialed in and there's could be a seat position where you're, you're all over the place. And, you know, once you figure that out, always make sure the seat's in the correct position for your sight picture. And that should drastically improve your landings. Yeah, and one thing you can do to verify that is, like, if you're sitting steady, like in a three-point attitude for, you know, tricycle gear or planes, of course, um, put fing- see how many fingertips between the glare shield and the horizon. That'll start to give you some metric. Even so, if you're renting, this is a 172 SP, this is a 172 R, whatever they all are, you can start to, even even though it's a different airplane and there are different adjustments and whatever, you can attempt to kind of rein in and find that baseline as you transition from aircraft to aircraft. And I, I, I guess I have somewhat subconsciously done that if you pay attention to like my earlier dissertation on it is I pretty much always try to get back to what I was like, what I was taught, what I had to deal with being short in a Piper Cherokee. I just dealt with the best I could get out of it without a seat cushion. Cause I didn't use one, which I probably should have, but I didn't. So I had, you know, not, not a sliver, you know, but I had some, I mean, probably, I don't know, maybe three or four, um, fingertips above the, um, above the glare shield that I could realistically see and use. And that became my normal. And so that's just the baseline that I carried forward with everything. And so if you can isolate that now, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be, this is what I'm flying today. You can pick one and then just adapt to what you pick. Does, does, and, and one thing too as far as forward backwards, obviously we all understand how that would apply to your pedal position with your feet and your rudder. You're being able to to press full deflection on the rudder, which I think is about all I would really want you to be able to do is go full deflection. Beyond that, it doesn't really matter. But what I think would play into that forward aft seat position is where you kind of hit your sweet spot of moat like motor skills kind of in your shoulder in your arm and your forearm to get that the real sensitive range where you can really do fine inputs uh for that flare 
Yeah. That's what I've noticed. If I'm too far aft, I can still push the pedals full deflection and do these things. But if I'm too far aft and I have to start using muscles that aren't quite developed the same, if I get kind of out of that range, I'm going to have a sloppier landing. Yeah. So finding that out. And if you're new, you can set it, figure it out, and then adapt to it. But then from there on, whatever feels comfortable for the most part, you adapt to that and you develop those muscle skills, muscle memory. Yeah. Absolutely. Chris from Utica has an interesting comment in here. I'm 36. I have a career, retirement, blah, blah, blah. With that being said, I cold called the owner of the maintenance shop of the world's largest private skydiving airport. I told him I wanted to just be around planes and aviation. I'd be willing to wash his planes for free just to be around the culture. Hired on the spot two weeks later, I'm up in, gives the tail number, a 1968 SC7 Series 3. That's awesome, Chris. That is awesome, man. You're bopping around. Have you, have you jumped out of any of them yet? I want to know if he's jumped yet. I've, I want to do that. Cocker and I almost did that. And then he checked his life insurance policy and it didn't cover skydiving, so we never went. Very disappointing. Why? I don't know. What, what's an SC7? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, I, okay, good. I'm not an idiot. S- no, I don't know any. I don't know any model designations. So, why well, got it? Well, you happened to pull Piper Colt out of your ass the other day with from Tyler's picture. I still don't know how what little magic trick you did there. Oh, from just, just I the wasn't even sure of my answer. And you come, yeah, but that's shared with a bunch of different airplanes. It could have been a Piper Pawnee for all we know. Until he said it wasn't tail. I know. Well, but, I know Pawnee because of the banner stuff. I've been around a lot of Pawnees. Right. Oh, Skyvan. Okay. All right. Okay. Skyvan. All right. That's cool. I think I. F- the SC7 is a Skyvan. I wonder okay. if that's what the. Like a military transporty type thing. I don't know if that's what Tom runs at tour helicopter down in Miami. He's got something like All right, that. So he goes, my discovery flight was in that bag rides. of bolts. You're talking about the Twin Otter? I have no desire to jump at all. Yeah, me either. I have zero desire to jump out of a... They have three Twin Otters. Oh, what if we do my a, God. What if we do like a run to a fu- our friend's funeral with okay. the ashes? I almost have... Right, yeah. Exa- well... We're going to mm, have to jump out then. Of course. Do I have the fire extinguisher taped to my leg? Yeah. I mean, we can do whatever we want. How many milk jugs do I have? We're gonna- I mean, how critical is safety here of the operation? Milk jugs. Do I have two milk jugs to myself? Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're going to a funeral. We don't want to cause more funerals on our way to the funeral. So extra extra milk jugs are probably, and fire extinguisher would be important. It's funny that he took a fire extinguisher when he didn't have any fuel when he crashed. Like what fire was he going to put out? There's no fuel. I don't know. I never. You know, that is kind of weird. That just came to me. Other than t-shirt ideas, I haven't put a lot of thought into that whole operation. I cannot. Hold on. I can't let this Twin Otter thing go. Okay, hold on. Go for it. Yeah. I don't know why I'm typing out when I could just ask him and he can yeah, respond. Just don't. Um, typing, okay. typing back. I, I don't want to put too much Don't type back. It makes for bad audio because I don't know what you typed. And when I go to edit and neither <sighs> does ever, the thousands of people who listen to the show, there's 17 people in the, in the live chat right now. Several thousand will okay. listen to the actual episode. Yes, I gotcha. Okay, Chris, are all the Twin Otters that they have, are they all junk? Is that the bag of bolts that you're referencing? I just want to be sure. 
Tyler said, I attempted to get life insurance, but the combination of hobbies, it was a no-go or 400 a month for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah, I would pass on that as well. Yeah. hundred Milk jugs full of 100 low lead, Tyler said. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm engaged yeah. now, so we've been looking at like life insurance and like adult stuff. And I'm worried. Uh-huh. I'm yeah, wor- adult stuff. I'm worried with flying and scuba diving and stuff, what that's going to do to my life insurance. Yeah, I don't know. Scuba diving. I, I don't know. Yeah, but my uh, life insurance, I don't think is, I don't know what it is offhand. It's all auto pay. So like, I don't see it. Don't really care. Built into the budget. But um, I mean, I don't think ours is unreasonable Yeah. as a professional pilot. So yours is probably okay. I would think. I th- I'm pretty sure diving is worse than aviation as far as the hit on. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Hit on your life insurance sense. policy premiums. I haven't looked into it yet. So, so the airport where uh, Rob and I used to work, Skydive Chicago came in, and that's the close. I actually put some fuel in that in their Twin Otter. They flew it over from Chicago, and that's the closest I've ever been to a Twin Otter in my life, and it's my favorite airplane. Oh, my gosh. So and I was obsessed. They probably have the same plane history. Still. Lee, Lee Griffin's Well, probably, fueled. but he says they have three of them now, and it's not that far from me. So I'm trying to like get the inside scoop here. Like, when can I like rub on this thing? You know what I mean? Um, you have layovers in Chicago. But he once said they in have a while. three of them. What's that? He said you have layovers in Chicago once in a while in your day job. I feel like we could make this happen. A Lee Griffin. You would pay just for whatever the skydiver pays to go up, but you just not jump out. You just go for the ride. I feel like you'd be willing to do that. <laughs> Maybe not. I might be. I'm. I might be willing just to, to go do that. for a twin auto ride. <laughs> I want more. I want more than a, a ride. I don't know what I want because, like, I don't like expect to like. Hey, yeah, hey, why don't you take the controls, man? Um, I don't expect that, but it's just like I don't know. I don't know. I just want to want to get my hands on one somehow. Um. All right. So we got some other. All right, Captain John said again. Speaking of Avgas, what are your thoughts on the hundred hundred unloaded their, or hundred UL unleaded they're working on? I think it's great. I've heard all the different iterations of unleaded 94, 98, I think maybe hundred. I think it's all great. I mean, they got to figure something out. The EPA is obviously look the world we live in. Anything that can be considered, considered a remote hazard to the general public is basically the enemy and it needs to be eradicated. That's just the world we live in. We might as well get used to it. We used to, we've been fortunate to be able to get by. With 100 low lead as long as we have. It's like three grams per gallon, which I don't think is much. And maybe that number's a little bit off. But it, I think it's a very small component. But we used to all I know is stuff. let me tell you. Absolutely exactly. We used to use like no gloves, no safety equipment, dip a rag in a bucket of Avgas, a five-gallon bucket of Avgas. Well, maybe it's like three gallons because it's one of those stainless ones, right? We used a lot. Well, no, we use five-gallon buckets too. You dip your hand in there, get on the rag, and wipe down the belly of the airplane. It's a great degreaser. Did that for years. Years. My kids turned out fine. No birth defects. I mean, I might be a little bit nuts, but I don't know. What was it? I mean, years. We're not talking breathing it in. We had one of those, you know, spray guns from like a parts washer oh, yeah. that would aer- basically aerosol. You know, you'd hook it I up to an air compressor and aerosol Avgas. We'd spray down the inside of cowlings yep. all the time. It was almost a daily occurrence. You'd spray it down yep. to get the oil out. I forgot and about it. You're breathing it in, you're touching it. 
So was it you and I don't know, was it but, you and I or Scott and I or Ryan and I? One of you three. It was two, two or three of us. It was hot summer day, and we we're trying to cool off. So we just took the pump. We we're filling up one of those cans and just hit it on uh-huh. our head as like a like uh-huh. a hose, just to like because it evaporates mm-hmm. so fast. Like it, so fast, it, yeah, it, just it cools you yeah. down like faster than water. Yeah, it was like we were doing yeah. that into the bucket to fill up the bucket. We were like hitting it on our head so it would bounce off our head into the bucket. I don't know if that was you yeah, or I somebody else. It. it was not me. Okay. It was either. I probably would have said, "Don't do that." It was Eckler or Scott. <laughs> we were doing that. Yes, we only did it once as a joke, but it worked. I think, but I think the unleaded is it's going to be the it's the way of the future. Um that's just the way it is. I don't think it's a big deal. You know, obviously nobody really wants to get like car gas on their hands. Everybody freaks out about that and there's no lead in that. So it's just going to be, I don't know, the next, they'll come up with the next thing, you know, the next thing, the next thing to, to make it all better. And before you know, it, we need electric airplanes, which I mean, I guess we need now. So whatever. Okay. Not saying it would be bad, but it's just another problem to have to mitigate. You get a bunch of lithium ion, lithium iron batteries, whatever you want, whatever technology comes along. You're just kicking the can down the road of a non-renewable resource. So, oh yeah, oh, did you see the articles that came out in the um, Congo? Like where they're getting the lithium seems lithium? like really bad for the environment and like really bad for the workers who are producing all this stuff to make the batteries. Yeah, but not to get into any yeah. of that. It's not blood diamonds, it's blood lithium. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, it's it's insane. It's rough. Relative. But that's what we do. It's out of sight, out of mind. Family member out of, of sight, mine of got mind. an electric car, so I'm like, I started looking into it more, and I'm like, oh, this is this is insane. Uh, Nighthawk says, hey, guys, I have a dumb question. There's no such thing as dumb questions. No such thing as dumb questions. Have you met us? Well, they're, they're dumb questions, but dumb questions are fine. So I fly helicopters every day for my job, and I have a PPL now. I'd love more detail. What kind of helicopter? Helicopter. That's awesome. Iterate on that. I want to fly more fixed wing stuff on the side. If I wanted to go rent a plane, Good do I need you. insurance? Now, not being a student, I have these questions. Um, you can. I've all the renting I've done. I've never had renters insurance though. That's, that doesn't mean it's a good idea, but I I would recommend it for sure. I know. I would definitely recommend. I know it. AOPA and you know what that stuff. Yeah, if you want peace of mind, go. Look at the uh, rental agreement or whatever with the um, with that particular you know uh, flight school you know the rental company that you're using. See see what all what all is covered there. And honestly, I think they should do a better job. We did a really good job because we had so we had the Lake Erie Islands like in our backyard, and that was super. You'd have people come in on vacation and they want to go fly to the islands, and that was like we were like super on top of it. To be like you, you know, you're not able to take this island. You're not insured to take this to the island. Our insurance won't allow you to fly this to the islands because they're short. And if there's much wind, they can they have their own personalities and can be very difficult. Maybe not necessarily unsafe to people per se, but unsafe to the airplane, and it wouldn't be covered. So I just feel like we were like really into being very forthcoming with that information, like the insurance, uh, all the rules with the insurance. Um, and all the li- all the liability and all the different limitations and things like that, like dollar amounts and everything, we would give that all out as part of like the rental packet. And I don't remember any of it now, but 
we'd we'd be really upfront with all of that for people. It's like, don't come get checked out. Like, if that's your goal, because we can't let you do that. You can do a lesson, and we can fly with you over there, which you know obviously might not be what people want. But I would strongly encourage getting to the bottom of what their um, insurance is and what's covered, what's not, and then see if you need to get renters insurance to fill the gaps. That's all the question only you can answer, in my opinion, what you're comfortable with. What do you think, Rob? Yeah. I would, I've been meaning to sign us all up for the, that AOPA thing. I, I, I don't know if that includes the renter's insurance as part of the package or if that's an extra thing on top of the E or the AOPA membership. And there's probably other companies that do it as well. That's just the first one that comes to mind is AOPA. But I was out of, I, when I first came down to Florida and was working the car business for a while, I went, I think, six or seven years without flying. So I got back into it. I rented a 172. And I forget how the conversation started. I was with the instructor getting checked out. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a weird, as soon as they see you have a commercial on CFI, they like just, a, like the checkout goes different, even though, it's been a year since I've flown. So we could start talking about grass strips and stuff. And he's just saying, oh yeah, just, we're not allowed to take these, the grass strips and stuff. Um, I'm like, oh, why? He's like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's just, they don't like grass and they're just, don't let the rentals go to grass. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so I took off for the first time. Like he checked me out. And then like, I think a week next, the next weekend, I, I rented a slot and I took it up and I'm like the flying around Florida here. And the first time I go to my first solo landing in like seven plus years and I learned on grass. So I'm just like, there's this gigantic, gigantic grass strip, Indian town airport. It's like, I want to say 6,700 feet. Anybody has, if anybody in the listenership knows who owns that airport or any info on that, I'd love to know more about that airport. Um, I just think it's so cool. It's like a giant 8-8 Delta Indian town airport. Um, so that's the first, first place I went. I flew there and I, I just did, um, a landing at Indian town airport cause it's a giant grant strip. And I'm like, okay, I got this. And then took back off and did some landings at the regular paved place. But I wonder now from this conversation just now, if that was because of insurance on the rental, if it just like, they didn't want the insurance, it wasn't, a, it was insurance thing is why they didn't allow grass strip. I'm just, I'm curious. I don't, I don't know. Could have been. Either way, I went, I went straight to the strip they told me not to land at as my first landing <laughs> the moment they gave me the keys to it. So maybe, I, maybe I wouldn't have been that's, covered if anything happened. I don't know. Everything went fine. Well, the, yeah, I mean, that's just it. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. And, you know, you having, uh, you know, extensive grass strip experience. Yeah. I don't know. And I'm, I'm just wondering too, like if they were looking at the, tra- like the tracking the plane on the transponder. It's like I take off and I literally went straight to a grass strip almost. And they're like, this guy just, we told him not to land at grass strips and he just flew straight to the grass strip and landed it. What a dick. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember if we had any provisions for grass strip, you know, unimproved strips. I don't know if we did or didn't. I'm pretty sure we, we, they, renters were not allowed to go to grass strips as well. Insurance is so funny. Yeah. 
You know, but then they'll insure us to go fly to the island of rattlesnake, fifteen hundred feet grass strip. You know, it's just nuts. It's just crazy. But yeah. that's commercial pilots under a one thirty five. Is is when yeah, you're running guess, on insurance on but, that, right? Yeah, but it's not like nothing ever happened. You know, things definitely happened. Yeah, and you always have the you always have the new hire that they're doing it for the first time, just like any other schmuck would be doing it for the first time, even though they're on the 135 certificate and. Well, theoretically they did it with a, you know, check pilot prior to, but yeah, Yeah. prior to doing by themselves. Still, it's like. Oh yeah. First time by yourself is the first time by yourself. Yeah, for sure. In my defense, Chris, you can email me like. I don't even remember what my email is. Um, F-A-R-A-I-M at LeeGriffing.com. Oh, man. It's amazing. We've only been saying you it for two years. We said it for two years. And then once we made Pilot Ground, we haven't done the emails much. Yours actually works. Scott's, right. Scott's been locked out of his for, what, six months now? I've, Who even I've knows? given up on trying to Who keep up knows? on them because I have like 2,700 and unopened unread emails in that inbox right now it's just i i yeah can't keep up with it but, i never i never got that many lee, i try to stay on it. lee actually yeah lee's your best ch- i probably don't have that many total in there even the junk mail i get i probably don't have 2700 emails in there da, 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 da. i don't know but i've had yeah i've had some interesting dialogue in there so that's good and you know once we have nobody dms me on pilot ground like it blows my mind. I thought it would go nuts, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone talks publicly on Pilot Ground, which is fun because exactly. then it's like, which and good and good. You can yeah, have more of a sure. conversation if it's you know one on one versus a bunch of people can kind of chime in. It's it's a, more fun. Yeah, I'm trying to yeah, find totally. I'm trying to get Tyler on here. Bear with me a second. Yeah, yeah, do it up, do it up, Try do it to up. Get him a and invite. in the chat, anything, anything else to discuss? I hope we didn't miss anything. If we omitted or went over top of a question, uh, stick it back in here so we can keep going. I'm just like, that's what sucks. I'm like, I'm just hitting my stride. Like, I don't want this. To <laughs> I gotta work it early in the morning. Chris, I'm I'm glad we were some help. That's one of the things you know. People say I don't know how we have helped people much, but. That's we hear that often is like, oh, you know, listen to you guys, you know, you help me answer this question on my oral or whatever. And it's like, that's awesome. That's that's why I do this. All right, Tyler, I sent him the you should have an invite to test that mic, Tyler, if you're listening. Uh I'm gonna grab another beer. One more beer and then do it up. I'm done. Yeah, what do I have? Yeah, I'm probably gonna be done it. Well, not done after this one, but this is my last beer tonight. If it doesn't work, Rob is getting a beer. So he doesn't have far to go, I guess. So he'll be right back. But I think, Captain John, um, thoughts on the sim weaved into the private training uh, to accelerate the learning. I 100%, um, you're going to take a little bit away from it, a little bit positive. You're going to probably also gain some bad habits. That is completely congruent with what would happen if you owned your own airplane. You would. It would help some learning, but then it would also solidify some bad habits. So as long as it's really superimposed over top of uh, a good 
uh, base with an instructor, you know, you're keeping a certain ratio of, I'm answering uh, Captain John's uh, question here, right? right. Um, as long as you superimpose a really good foundation with an instructor and maybe you like refly a lesson you just did. Oh, there he is. Or something like that. Mike check. Mike sounds good, oh, man. Sounds good. Sounds Sweet. really good. Well, thanks, is- Pilot Ground, for the mic. It's nice. <laughs> We're trying to get to have the Bluetooth audio of previous attempts. Yeah, we're trying to get Mike set up for to have more regular guests and stuff. So this should be good. That works. The acoustics in that room sound good too. That's not the same room. Yeah, that's a that's different. A different that's room. a different background. What? Yeah, yeah. I'm in the uh, living room. Okay, and then Jen's in the office. Actually, still working. You were in where you were. You were in the office. Time. That's why. Yeah. I and it's like a lot of hard surfaces from like monitors, desks, and whatever. Yeah. So there's a little bit more carpeting around me. So yeah. now your visuals tight. aren't great. Is that just me, Rob? That's just you. Yeah, it, seems, it might be a tight shot, Ella's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a laptop. And I was just kind of like grabbing it to see how this would work. Yeah, might be an option in the future. Uh, just go somewhere else instead of having this huge desktop. Because I have like, those like gaming laptops doing VR and whatever, and it's a big heavy like refrigerator. So, yeah, if this is working, that's great. You have like one, yeah. Especially if the no, the noise cancellation is just straight from the mic or whatever. Nothing crazy. You just have, you have great internet compared to some guests and, frankly, some other yeah. hosts. So, that's always a plus. Yeah. <laughs> Which host? Yeah. Where, what, where's your drink? Where's your drink? There you go. Okay. Just wanted to be sure. Just wanted to be sure. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, good. Yeah. I doubled up. I got that um, rum in a plastic bottle, and then yes. I got um, some beers backup just in case I ran out of rum. I'm getting pretty low on rum, so can never get low on rum. Can't have that. All right, so can't have that. Lee, what were you? Yes, you were talking, answering somebody in chat's question. Yeah, just um, he said uh, weaving in some uh, sim training, basically with the private pilot, and I'm I think it's a great idea, but just be leery of you know, uh, what do I want to say? Solidifying bad habits. Yeah. So as long as you're not just like, I just passed my written. I'm going to go just dive into sim training all by myself with no like checks uh, from an, a real instructor and no lessons that week to back up or, you know, reinforce the good habits. Um, I think overall it's a good. Tyler, I'm curious. You guys have, cause a, we had Jeff yeah. Denovich on to talk all about simulator stuff. Tyler, you deal with, do you have you have a the sim software at least in your computer, right? Did you use that at all during training? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the latest flight simulator really is like a part of entertainment for me. But I think back when I was really involved in flight training, I was really focused on those procedures of like at midfield downwind, we're going to check to make sure the fuel tanks are both. We're going to mixtures rich. All those procedures are going to be at this airspeed, this flap setting, or if I'm flying a car rated or playing car pizza on all these things. Um, I think I relied on that for like initial muscle memory. I cared so much about the yoke being the correct position and the throttles and all this and that you get to a certain point afterwards and it becomes more of an entertainment value. And it's kind of fun with like VR, especially, but once you get that sensation of the G forces and like the subtle, low to the ground, flying a ground effect feeling, suddenly it ruins flight simulator for you as far as VFR flying goes, at least. 
I could see the tremendous value in it for IFR instrument rating procedures, things that are like really checking certain boxes, but the, the rush and the adrenaline, the fear, any, any version of that, of the VFR stuff really doesn't do, do it for me anymore. So, although VR is pretty fun, kind of get thrown into a different place in particular, like flying transport category aircraft, big, heavy twin aisle aircraft. It's pretty cool or aerobatic. Otherwise, um, I think the new flight simulator is awesome because they use photogrammetry. So it's like pretty realistic in the way of, for the most part, it's like flying around Google maps. So you can see like that, um, reconnaissance of, I'm going to, if you're, if you're a student pilot, you can fly from A to B, whatever airports you're flying, um, to, from, and get an idea of the layout of the land in particular, like terrain and how is this going to go? Um, I think that's super cool for the new student pilots out there that back when I was flying as a student, it was short of like being black and green graphics, you know? So evolution flight simulator, modern iteration of it's amazing, but the physics are just a bit lacking and that bugs me a lot. I I think it's great for need full motion, man. Yeah. So I'm at a position where I actually have occasional access to full motion. I'm sure. Um, And uh, it's, Mind blowing, like the feeling of thrust in particular, braking, how oh, they're yeah, able to dude. emulate that. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, we're yeah. not actually going anywhere. It's like some kind of scrubbing motion. But um, yeah, the graphics are pretty good, but that sensation of motion is there. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, you go do a steep turn, you do something uncoordinated. Yeah, the thrust, the braking, the yaw. If you get tiller, you know, you blow a tire. The, it's, yeah, blowing out the front tire. Like, what the heck is this? Like, the, you can lock up the the front tire and all suddenly that's like a problem. So it's pretty yep. funny coming from like Cessna's or whatever, where everything's like mechanically, you know, what is it like, um, bungee cords on a Cessna on the rudder pedals. So yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It blows my mind every time. Like you can, so you, you start breaking in the sim and you would think the hydraulics are like at their limit and you would no longer get the increasing sensation, but it just guess that's why I'm not an engineer. But it's yeah. just like it just has this linear sensation of decelerating, and it's like it's insane. It's, it's for yeah, days. it's like it's, how's it? But doing I that? I do know that like so some of the things like you'll do like a, a trim runaway or whatever, and so you'll have like a elevator for example, like we'll go full deflection. You have to overcome it, and like eventually you go to a certain psi on the control, and it'll let loose, and then the sim will go down. And you got to like completely bring it down and let it do all the safeguard stuff. The ramp comes down, you know, and then everything boots back up. But I mean, you can overload it in those, those types of situations, like the normal, like decelerating, whatever steep turns and all the normal flying you do when you start getting an emergency stuff and it like locks a trim one way. One time I took, I took the yoke. I was full. I mean, is everything I got. And then I, when I put my knee on the yoke, as well to keep it nose down because it was a hard nose up trim runaway and I overrode the hydraulics and things went, went completely limp. Everything just like, it's like, okay, I'm out. And it's like, every, there's like nothing complete slop in the, in the yoke side to side and forward bags, just like completely disconnected. And so the whole sim came down and then we had to, uh, well, we had to get out of it for like a half hour for it to reboot and all that stuff. But yeah, I heard that, about that being a problem. So I was in, the 
737 Max and then the 747 separately. And um, we're going to do barrel rolls over Mount Rainier, which is like south of Seattle. And the engineer, like the guy that fixes all those hydraulic things, is like, no, 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 no. Like, please, please don't. Because it's going to shut this thing down. And like, what are you talking about? Like, like the Sim's going to crash? Or like, no, all the hydraulics, it's just incompatible. Like, please don't do that. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And then, um, yeah, I ended up just kind of doing some loose gentleman aerobatics in the SM47. It was fine. but Yeah, I mean, I bet if you keep it off motion, obviously it's fine. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Do whatever you want. What fun is that, though? But, well, yeah, I guess. You don't have any sensation. Spe- especially, of, yeah. especially like when it's it's 11 o'clock at night and you're not necessarily paying for any of this. Um, you know, here I am. And like the, the real deal smells like BO from the last Russian airline that was sitting in here, too. Absolutely. So, yeah. And yep. cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably a $1,000 an hour just to run the sim, which right. people don't realize. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. crazy. There's simulators. And, there's, and by the way, there's like 12 of them in a row. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's when you, and you you can appreciate this, you know, you walk into one of these CAE flight safety or, you know, Boeing specific or airline specific, there's a bank of these things. They look like little submarines. You know, kind of just like out there up on these big hydraulic stands and you have like a ramp that'll come down or go up, whether it's on motion or off motion. It's just weird. It's like a bunch of little spaceships or submarines floating out there. You look down like joy. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I used to have really bad simitis. When I went for my first type rating in the Embraer 145, man, it was, oh man, it was, I just got all anxious and anxiety about going in there and, and just not knowing what the hell I was doing. And you, it's like, and it's dark in there. It's just everything. About, I hated everything. The switch isn't, wasn't in the same spot as the real airplane. It just, everything was a little bit off. I mean, it's very accurate. Like I would say it's hundred percent accurate, but it's just not quite right. It's like, it's not the airplane you fly. It's an airplane. It's an example of an airplane out there flying somewhere. Just not the one you fly. The seats are a little bit different. Like the cushion is weird. Just so just all those little things cumulatively like throw you off a little bit. We'll have to get yeah, Zach enough on the the Boeing aircraft that we actually used it as an example to to create um, models for flight simulator the product. And uh, there there are some minor differences with some of the knobs and the vendors being a little bit different, like stu- super subtle, like the font face, and it's like eleven points. You have a twelve point and little stuff. If you if you spend. Mm-hmm. So much time in that flight deck is they call it SME subject matter expert, little nuanced stuff that most people wouldn't care about. And like, um, I'm still trying to shake people from saying on the tarmac and saying on the ramp, there's just stuff like that. And they're like, shut up nerd. You know, little, little things about, um, being part of that industry that like, why did you hire me to be an expert on this? And if you're not going to listen to my feedback, but anyway, because of those flight simulators, yeah, there's so there's like it's weird alternate universe of like it's so close to being the real thing, but not right. But uh, sensations there where it's like, yeah, especially if you don't know any different people are just if you have a casual friend come along and they've never been in any in- environment regarding aviation, their minds are blown. And then I get in there and just we're going to do like um, we'll kill engine one and just kind of glide in and do some really crazy stuff you would ever want to do when you're paying for that training or certification or check ride. And just mm-hmm. let's short of breaking this simulator, let's do some fun stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah. But again, it's like 11 o'clock or midnight when we're doing that. So 
Yeah. No, I get Allegedly. That. We'll have to get... Yeah, yeah. I got to get Jack Cochran a, a mic set up, like a proper mic set up, but he'd be... We got to get him in the... Like, do a full motion sim episode mm. with Cochran yeah. and Tyler. Because you've got the yeah. background in the full motion sims, but like not from... More from like the technical side of it. But Cochran was actually teaching for several years. He was like the instructor that would be putting people through the paces, like people getting simitis because they got to do this checkout. Like Cochran was the guy doing yeah. the checkout for a few years. Yeah. I was surprised the 3.7 simulator has circuit breakers right behind you. Uh, like, even to that level, because oh, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of things in GA, all the circuit breakers are right in front of you. There's only like 12, but in the, the 3.7, it's close to 700 behind you. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I have counted it because I had to model it. And uh, yeah, the, all that, like the reach type of things and like the fire extinguisher and the, um, they call that the, not the, the uh, geez, the thing to break the door down. It's like the, not the, God, the, the axe. axe. Yeah, axe, axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having all that stuff is right there in the sim. So oh, it's yeah. part of like part of the checklist to, to basically go on this flight. Right. So th- those are things I didn't consider coming from just generally like home built uh, simulators or flight simulator, but like the level of detail that they put into these full motion things for yeah, the dude. sake of transport category is remarkable. Oh yeah. So they've, it's all they there. have an ax on the actual planes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. On the three seven, it's right. It's within arms reached from the jump seat. So as bright as you walk in the door and that was a very prominent thing because I was working on this thing for flight simulator. And that was one of the things that was called out very early. Like, where's the ax? And like, I didn't think that was, you know, like an option or this and that. It was like very much mandatory and it was prominently displayed and whatnot in the flight simulator now. But, hmm. um, yeah. Considerations of, you know, what we're looking for in GA versus the transport category, you know, 121 flights, pretty interesting perspective. There's a lot of little small details about that, that I think is, is interesting that you could talk for days about, um, some of the, the nuanced differences. So was, I think you guys did a really good job of covering some of the, the podcast style discussion about weather tonight. So okay, uh, good job. It was a disaster. Just is it? So well, back yeah, to, I would call that a the, disaster myself. I'm still hung up. Did we even talk about no, weather? Yeah, no, I, it just, it was like a conscious thought discussion rather than going through curriculum. I thought that was very I much. Suppose. I thought it was going to go through curriculum too. Instead of a podcast rather than just like, very dry, boring. Cause that's like originally wh- how I came across the far aim podcast is looking for dry content. And like, what is this? It's just like people talking about not aviation. A certain it's a degree. bunch of drunks. Yeah. That's what it felt like. I'm glad you noticed. That's what it felt like tonight. The, uh, myself. Good. Okay. Back to the, I'm hung up on the ax. So all of these yeah. Boeings have an ax in the plane. At least the three, seven. I'm pretty sure. Eight, Most seven, transport I, category airplanes. Yeah. Does your Lear have an ax? Yeah, I, it does okay. not. Okay. How nice are and actually no. It how doesn't. nice of an axe is this? I'll send you a picture. Pretty nice. Pretty yeah, nice. yeah, they don't get used often, so they're pristine. But another thing that people don't think about is like escape rope. You got those things. Okay. Too. Mm-hmm. So that yep. makes sense. You gotta remember if you jump from if you have to get out of there and you gotta jump from the flight deck down to the ground, you're gonna get you're gonna get hurt. Yeah. Need a rope. That makes sense. Yeah, that's so why you got two legs, one's a backup. The axe on, on boats, <laughs> a lot of the the um, the watertight doors 
right next to it will be an axe. And depending on where the axe is on the on the yacht, like the one in the back door and like a, a Westport I'm familiar with, for example, a lot of them have just really, I, I don't know how much it would cost to replace, but it's probably thousands of dollars because it's just beautiful stainless steel with like teak stained wood. So when the engineer has the door open on the back of the yacht and you can see the axe, it, it's meeting all the technical safety requirements that are required for the class, but it's also like if a guest sees it, they're like, oh, wow, that's that's a nice axe. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, just, I'm just wondering if it's <laughs> like, like that on Boeing too, like a nice stainless steel. So. It's like a gray color. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a nice looking axe in terms of like not being touched ever. Yeah. Anyway, didn't mean to get that hmm. hung up on the axe, but that, other than that, I just said flight decks are gross. Though I posted a picture on Pilot Ground not too long ago. I remember like, that. Just how how like the hairs and whatever debris from just people existing in between all the knobs. I had to do some macro photography at the flight decks and just like trying to capture some of that subtle detail, like where your hand prints where on like the turning of like the the knobs for volumes and oh yeah, oh my gosh, because we're out in North Carolina. And someone left a cheese sandwich in there and the airplane was shut down for about three days in North Carolina humidity. And I walked into that. My gag reflex is terrible and I was about ready to hurl. So like, man, just blow chunks all over the avionics of the 737. Huh. Didn't happen. Somehow muscled through that. But I just then we turned on the lights and like how gross that cockpit was. I'm not going to name the air carrier that that was from, but it was a major one and it was gross. Lee, how do you deal with that as a resident germaphobe getting on flight decks and stuff with it? I, so in a certain sense, I, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm a germaphobe. Oh, I would categorize, categorize you as a germaphobe. Really? I consider myself a okay. bit of a germaphobe and you're way worse than I am. So I don't, I, I don't want to get into that now, but like I, yeah. I, so when it comes to airplanes, let me say this after every trip. I'm kind of like, I'm talking with the guy I was flying with. Good flying with you. I'll see you on whatever. Tuesday, next trip, next month, whatever. I'm going to go wash my hands. <laughs> that yeah. is it. I go wash my hands before I go get in my car. And that's just, that's just, I get off the plane. Maybe I go pee. Maybe I just go to the bathroom just to wash my hands. That is very common. Oh, I wash my I just, hands. But ridiculous amount at work. Like if I get anything on my hands, I wash the hands. I'm not that bad. You know, I'll go fly. If I'm not going to go do anything, like, I don't know. I, I'll go. So if I'm going to fly pretty quick, like a, a couple legs in quick succession, I wouldn't bother. It doesn't bother me. I'm not really, I'm not taking the germs. I am obviously, but I'm not, they're not being trans transported to like an area that I'm going to like take home per se. Um, so like before I'm going to like spend too much time on my phone, I'll wash my hands out of the, after I'm out of the airplane, things like that. But otherwise, no, if I don't have time to really get into my phone too much, I'm not even going to bother. But so I think in an, in a certain sense, I have just become desensitized to the germs. It's a fact of life in there. And I just deal with it. I deal with that grimy feeling on my hands. I can't take it. That's what. The, the industry, the yachting industry is nice because most of the time, like the, the boats are perfect. Everything's perfect all the time. So you're never getting anything. Like yeah. even you go in the engine room, 
Everything's like immaculate. You can eat off of anywhere in the engine room. Everything's perfect. But like I did a yeah. winter working for Boris Cycle, um, parting out <laughs> motorcycles. And that was not, not like that at all. Yeah, my gag reflex and like walking into that flight deck that smelled like a cheese sandwich from three days ago. Mm-hmm. About to lose my mind. And like in in particular situation, like I was there for work. I was being paid to be there and just like I can't just complain about it and just have to deal with it. I was wondering about you as a professional pilot. I think it's probably a little bit different at like 135 or something where there's probably not as frequency as many people changing hands, but like coming into an environment that smells like um a bottom. If, uh, how, how you just kind of deal with, I imagine a lot of the jets you're flying have air conditioning and things that are nice, but like, if it just smells rank, like how you, you muscle through that, like, cause I, like a Cessna on a hot day here in, in Seattle, 90 degrees is a hot box. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, man, this stinks bad. That's one, mm-hmm. you know, especially in private pilot training, like you get to know the odor of your CFI, like, dude, this is miserable. Oh yeah, you worked for yeah. the airlines. Like lead. Pilot, where you have to like. Did you ever deal with this yeah. nastiness of an airline cockpit? Like, show up one day and you're like, "Who was flying this the last five trips?" I don't want to. I, no, <laughs> no, I don't. I Tyler's point is completely valid. I don't want to undermine that a single bit. I I just have not personally experienced that. I know, and I have to imagine that it a hundred percent exists. But I, it was never that bad. Now, remember when I when I was like at the one of my the my most recent one twenty one, we were accepting brand new airplanes, brand new okay. airplanes. Is that a so, cool smell? Uh, it felt pretty cool when. I, so the one airplane I want to say I was, if I was not the first revenue flight on that airplane. I was in the first 10 for sure. I mean, just the leather just smelled like straight freaking yeah. leather, the whole airplane. I'm like, this is pretty freaking sweet. Yeah. We go out on customer walks on basically, um, you know, twin owl aircraft. So it's like 300 feet of brand new mm-hmm. seats. Oh yeah. And all, you know, you know, depending on the airline configuration, close to 500 seats themselves, all off-gassing that cancerous leather smell. It's so yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, love uh, it. All the plastics and things and like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. So the way to articulate that is new car smell and that joy yeah. and satisfaction, but 300 feet of it. And so it's just yes. like overwhelming. And you're like, dude, this is amazing. So they, you have to wear booties and you have to wear... Oh yeah. Certain things if you're wearing jeans or or jeans with like the the metal bits on it and belts. The grommets. Yeah. Yeah. So for the most part, um, yeah, once you're you're in that scenario, you know, this is a hundred plus million dollar aircraft. Yeah. So you're walking through dealing with that, making sure not to mark anything because it's gonna be taking delivery like tomorrow and the customers are showing up and kind of uh we we try to do a extensive photo documentation of all these aircraft is before they leave so we can have um well documentation of what was being configured because there's little things like um you know fire extinguishers and where are the provisions for this and that and all the things that have been engineered to a certain degree but the end result it's always a little bit of plus or minus on the results so, so all the oh yeah for all sure. the clothes you bought all from the hot rest, topic you can't wear for those walkthroughs yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. I Chains are a no-go? I, no. Yeah. I'm from Seattle, <laughs> so you know. Um, <laughs> but there, there was a... Hmm, I don't know how to say this. There's a person that had short shorts that were too short and so we had yes. to wear a full body suit to get onto the airplane because it was pretty funny um i don't know i don't know how to uh this day in 2022 how to present that full story but it was great i'll te- i'll text you off one. all right yeah. yeah interesting one i can't wait to hear it oh man yeah i can't imagine what that's like to just walk in through that door that a billion people will go through over the course of that aircraft's life life cycle right you're walking you're one of the first people to go through that door when after it's completed and just like there's not a speck on the carpet there's not a little abrasion on that armrest and just all that leather all that plastic i mean it's like a like a baseball mitten and little army figure factory you know what i mean just like all those like you said carcinogens that we equate to fresh clean new you know what i mean that are kind of caustic really <laughs> i mean in, in yeah, reality why my eyeballs but, burn yeah I love, this I love, burns in here <laughs> who's sprayed bear spray in the back of this airplane <laughs> it's and the the like handwritten signs on the lavatories like do not use like because <laughs> the next uh the, they call them stalls down um between all the like where all the airplanes are parked people are signed stalls and they do their task to get this airplane flying before the customer walk and then the delivery and all that stuff and so like, do not use this lavatory, if, if anything. Like, let the the first... So, at some point, that their plane is delivered, and at some point, a, a, a paying customer for the airline is going to be the first to um, use that lavatory. And, and conceivably, they have no idea they're the very first. But, um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, the, like, do not touch this. Like, all signs all over the place. And just, like, I've, I've taken delivery of new cars a couple times that peel into the plastic mm-hmm. in a rewarding sense. But... Yes. It's like, don't even do that. We're, we're, we're way, be, way before that when this yeah. airplane's so new. That's Good crazy stuff. to think about. Yeah. Man. And there's like 20 of them in a row. Yeah. And yeah, are like, I don't, it's crazy. The time that we are in right now is, I don't know where Rob went. I have no idea, but I, I just now noticed that he's gone. <laughs> is, does this mean it's over? Does this like uh, our, our it still says recording and whatever. Yeah. I don't know. It's still counting down. I don't know if you see it up there in the upper right. I do. Still yeah. counting. So whatever. But it's like, so just me and you now. Um, yeah. Like, Let's do this. I can't wrap my brain around. Like the state of the world of the country is just shit. But like we got billionaires putting people in space for money. People that are willing to pay to go up in space for like. I paid a, to go to Ohio, co- man. <laughs> well, there we go. We have more money. We Well, we have less money yeah. than we think yeah. we do. But we're spending yeah. it like we know how much we have when we don't know how much we have. Yeah. Every day there's more bad news coming out and like inflation is up and this is up. And my wife got a $8 salad from Wendy's today, which was like the equivalent of like a side salad. It was terrible. She's like. I can't believe this. I'm like, well, it's like shrinkflation. You know, you're paying the same amount as you were before, but you're getting a lot less for it. All these things are happening. And then you have so many airplanes on order. Everybody, Airbus, Boeing, everybody's got whatever, 300 airplanes on order. It's like, what do you think of uh, the boom aircraft that's been in the news a lot about the supersonic? They're doing uh, 
I hate aviation, though, so it's like, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, so Boom is uh, kind of a, a, a less, it's like a three-quarter scale Concorde. Okay. And so they're, they're going to fly 1.7 Mach, and they're going to do, um, I think United just ordered 20 with options for more and a couple other U.S. carriers as well. Okay. It's a Texas-based aircraft. Um, okay. And uh, I, there was a bunch of headlines last couple months, but there was some more press today about it. So there, you know, no um, overflight of the continental U.S. with greater than Mach 1, but starting to open that door to do like something like Seattle to Tokyo in four hours. So wow. New York to London in un, around three. So um, it's pretty cool. Basically, the idea you know, always in theory is soon. So it's going to be about 2029 before they, uh, they have hoped to be flying scheduled service. But, you know, we had got all these, uh, EV tolls on the market mm. are coming up. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 basically the company that I'm currently working with, um, we're kind of touching on some of those as well. And so it's interesting to see some of the similar thoughts and, and like that being less unique, but then there are these startups here and there that have very unique ideas, but they they're here for six months and they disappear. Yeah. Um, so I don't feel like we're getting much traction yet on EV tall. Cause it's kind of a crazy concept of batteries being so heavy at the, at the current state of technology, but eventually it's going to get better. Right. Right. So that that's the biggest deficit. Like we've talked about that. I feel like before with like the weight of, electricity and in general the batteries and cars just being these land yachts but getting to the point of sustainability being a object uh very i don't know let's say not lingo at this point but it's very much uh like synergy was a big business term for a while just a bit overused but you know, sustainability being something in aviation that you know we have these these propellants that are generally gasoline based and mm-hmm. uh, moving away from that, whatever that is. So like Boeing's been trying these um, hybrid type of fuels and yeah, but going to fully electric vehicles being both car or flying things, um, getting the range out of it. Cause there's a company up in uh, Vancouver, BC that's flying. I think it's a beaver or an otter, but it's a seaplane uh-huh. and they're flying it to, uh, scheduled service and is actually in action, you know, granted not very long flights, but they're doing it. What and is it? It's electric. Yes. Yeah, electric seaplane. So okay. it's either an otter or beaver. So, um, there's a company in, in my area that is trying to do full, um, electric aircraft in the scale of two engines and it's composite airframe and, mm-hmm. DHL, so a cargo carrier, has signed up for a number of orders. I can't recall the exact, but they put down some commitment to it. And I've been watching them doing taxi tests um, pretty recently, even. And it sounds kind of like, you know, a RC car in terms of that high pitched whiny, but then it has the uh-huh. base of the turboprop. Yeah. So it's really interesting to hear like lack of propulsion, meaning like the the pistons slapping and exhaust and all this and that, but rather have the base from the bite of the air from the propeller 
still happening with like the whiny sound of like an RC car, that really high pitched right, thing. Right. It's pretty wild. And then in person and then, and they get off basically the power and it goes right back to that whiny RC car thing. So, um, that's been interesting. And again, with my own eyes and ears, it's right over there. So yeah. as I point to the West, why um, can't, what is the, there, there's a couple of really prominent seaplane companies in Vancouver and Victoria Harbor. What my memory escapes me. What's like the big one, the big Canadian. There's Harbor air. I think is the big one. Okay. What's the second big one? Then? <laughs> yeah. Can you think of any, um, maybe it is Harbor air, but it's been a long yeah. time. Yeah. That's the only one I can really think of. There's, they're like yellow. Maybe it's that yellow and a red. It's pretty Canadian color, but is there anything that's like white and blue and green? White, blue, green. Or am I know. nuts? I may be nuts. Otherwise, Kenmore uh, touches. Yeah, on Kenmore. Yeah, they're like blue and yellow, aren't they? White and blue and yellow, or yeah, they're they're kind of like white and yellow. So that's that's who I did my seaplane training with, and so they got some beer flights that go international, and we got the caravans going up there as well. Yeah. So we're we're also yeah. close to to Canada. It's kind of it's kind of like the United States of Canada up around here. So right. Well, we're getting there, anyways. Um. So that's. Well, yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, I, from a car, I mean, you're a car guy. So it's like from a car perspective, like I want it to make noise. I want to hear that. I want to hear that. Like, I want that. But also like eventually I'm going to like, it's just going to be, I recognize all the benefits of, of electric and the acceleration and the practicality the drivability, even, I mean, even for the, you know, whatever the most mundane task, I mean, the obvious electric, you know, the linear nature of, of electric and, but like, right. I mean, you're on the West coast where they tend to be more progressive, whatever. Correct. I mean, are we not just kicking the can down the road? If, if the environment, if being the savior of the earth is what's most important, is are we not just kicking the can down the road? And I'm not saying that's necessarily better or worse than what we're doing with fossil fuels. I guess, is it just not just changing shape a little bit? Ultimately, ending up in the same result, we're being pushed forward somewhere. And so how we're getting there is different technologies of like, uh, you know, the, the fossil fuels thing being existing inside of electric vehicles themselves for lubricants of the gears and things. And so it's going to be, it's going to be a hard push to completely get rid of dependency on oil. And the, and the thing that I'm disappointed in with electric cars is how polarizing they've been in the way of like becoming a political discussion, which I totally try to stay away from being a car guy. I love, yeah, the sounds too. It's awesome. Um, but the, the fact that we're, we're moving forward in this velocity, like insane speeds is, is pretty addicting in a way of like G force in that regard. And I don't, it's not that I don't care about the environment. It's not the reason I got an electric car. So I had that for close to three years and it was a perfect commuting appliance. So once I got to this situation, we're going to be working from home more permanently at this point, I ended up 
selling the Tesla and then Jen sold her Tesla as well. And we're back to the gas cars, try to enjoy like the days of shifting gears while we can in terms of like new cars. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know about kicking the can down the road. I think we have some more time to go for the accessibility of these cars being more available to people with lesser funds to disperse on cars, certain degree serve a purpose. And for some people it's strictly to get to work and back. I'm in the camp where cars, that's, that's a nice thing for me to get somewhere, but some cases, some of the cars I own are for pure enjoyment only. They're not commuting devices at all. They're just strictly just go be a jackass and, you know, like a crime machine. So I'll go usually tracks to really eke out all the performance of any of these cars. But some of these cars, the luxury of similar to aviation, like who needs an airplane really? You know, it's, it's a right. nice luxury to have to get somewhere. So, mm-hmm. and having some version of humble on that, like the, the person I was flying young Eagles with, um, this past weekend has multiple aircraft and I'm, we're back to kind of rental status. And so, you know, there's scenarios where some people can't fathom having their own car, much less an airplane. But when you have multiple cars and airplanes and just, it's kind of interesting to get in that world of the freedom and luxury of taking for granted when some people can't even make a car payment and they get their car repoed. And here you are with eight cars. Like we had last summer, it was insane. So, um, yeah, the the people over the map with like their needs for cars and desires and their ability to acquire them and store them and drive them and maintain them. And that that's the unmanageable thing with like having multiple cars is using them properly and, and maintaining them in a way that like, their cylinders are being used and seals are, you know, not drying up. And so that's why airplanes need to fly. All these, all these gasoline vehicles need to be flying or driving and, um, electric cars, um, in practice kind of are these big giant iPads at the moment. So it's, it's good technology demonstration. I think the, 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 the modern EV cars are finally getting to the point of not sucking and they're, they're yeah. still expensive. But I think you think that's going to come down. I think the median like um, opinion of them being cool or not is when they're more affordable for like the broke teenager to buy their first electric car. Like when's that going to happen? It's going to be a while. You think it's ever going to happen? Right. So do you think it's ever going to happen? I don't know if that's the the goal. the, the, The current iteration, there's a lifespan to any of these products. Yes. So. I've been surprised how long some of the Teslas have lasted with like, at some point you have to swap the batteries out. Just it's a fact. And the, the, the current iteration of those batteries aren't cheap. So, you know, you could do motor swaps with like any of these gas engines pretty, pretty easily, but it just takes money. And so, um, perpetuating the life of any chassis by <laughs> refreshing the motor, kind of like doing an, doing a TBO on uh, any aircraft, you know, think about the general fleet of aircraft that were generally flying in GA or for like the sixties and seventies and that, and they're still unaffordable. So that how, how old are those airplanes now? And they're finally becoming affordable for more of an average Joe. Is it going to be 40 years from now that like electric cars are affordable, but they probably won't be running because the battery packs have had three swaps since then. So it's a tough one to pre- 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 
predict. I don't have a strong opinion about it. I'm kind of currently enjoying the status quo of it. Um, well, you're in a position to be able to enjoy the status quo. Yeah. And, and that's then, fine. I'm pff, great. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't think the goal is for them to be, I don't want to get political. I don't think the I know, goal I know. is for it, them it's, to it's be. So, it's so quickly political and it, it sucks. That, like it just goes that it does. so quickly. It and, does suck. Um, and, I, and I want, I want more of my, my friends to experience it. And they, they start pushing judgment on me because I, we have multiple electric cars and we have, we have like, geez, man. Just sounds ridiculous, say with the the portion that and the beamers and all that stuff. Um, so I ha- I have you know close friends just not in a position to be able to do that, and and it hmm, it's humbling to, to come to realization that like how lucky you have it sometimes, and and as a whole, I think in general aviation we're kind of in that echelon of we're pretty damn lucky. So oh. especially if you do it on on a regular occasion, um. And it commit to some aviation or on racetrack is pretty fun. So, you know, you know, my scenario with like perspective on, on life being short. So it just kind of came to that conclusion, like, let's go, let's go do it. Let's not talk about it. Here, ironically, here we are talking about it. Let's go do it. And then I have something to talk about later. Well, in, you know, I'm, I will make that reference. Like I'd rather talk do it than talk about it. I mean, this is a kind of an isolated example, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a, a paradoxical the talk like some people like they like and you are probably one of those guys you'll go build an airplane you would probably build an airplane wouldn't you we have an RV RV14 in our garage right now being built and that kind of came to my mind as I said I knew you I thought you had something in the, yeah and I have other friends that have very airplanes at various stages that's not me I would never build one of these things never I don't I don't want to I can daydream about a build. I could daydream about it and be like, oh, the perfect. I I do I pick every single facet of that build the way I want it and then have somebody else build it. I don't want to be the one building it. I want to disseminate the information, what I want the outcome to be. Just tell me when I can go fly it. That's what I want. Yeah, we're um a scenario where I have my tailwheel. Jen is uh C- helicopter CFII, and she doesn't have high performance or tailwheel. So she's building an aircraft that doesn't have those endorsements. In the mode. So I was making a joke yesterday, like maybe you should buy an RV 14 so you can get um, those endorsements while, while you're building your RV 14. She's like, Hey, how about you buy an RV 14? And then <laughs> we'll use that one while we build this RV 14. So this weird chicken and egg thing. Mm, so, yeah, like, exactly. How, so how do you like, that whole tailwheel episode that was dropped today talking about the champ a lot and everything's 55 miles an hour. And like, that's cool. Like I technically have my tailwheel, but am I ready for it? Like, nah, not really in practice. And that whole thing about like getting into the airplanes, like, dude, I'm actually not that great at tailwheel. So in, those RVs are, are generally pretty light. So they're a small airplane, but they got a lot of high performance. And how do you find a trainer equivalency to get you prepared for that? An RV 14 sits a little bit higher compared to the seven. And uh, mm-hmm. so that sight picture and you got all these things. So some of the options locally, there's a steerman. It's like 500 an hour duel, but I'm sure I'm surprised it's only that much. Yeah. So they have, what does it have a Jake or the, um, I'll, I'll Pratt look it up. um, I don't care that actually, much. Actually, but. actually I, 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 I don't somehow 
don't about know. how much horsepower is. Do you know how much horsepower it is? <sighs> Roughly standard looking. It just looks like the common steerman you'd expect. They all so look I, I don't know. Yeah, that, I, I, I honestly. Okay. I feel bad for not knowing, but oh, it's, yeah. Okay, long, it's probably around three hundred horsepower. That, whatever. So, so, you, so you got that. You know, like there's a J three Cub down the bottom of the hill. You can go do dual. And it's like 80 horsepower, 90 something in that range. Or you got this like freaking steerman with a radial and all that weight. And, you know, it's a biplane. So how do you interpolate between those two to get your proper tailwheel endorsement where you feel safe enough? You just built this RV 14. You're going to get in it. And at some point there's a first flight and you're the test pilot. Yeah. How's that going to go? So, yeah. That that's that's the in earnest thing about the tail endorsement. It's like cool, yeah, I did my thing in the in the champ, but then I quickly realized that I needed more time. And flying champ was like super easy and just remarkable how humbling it was to do other mm-hmm. aircraft, uh, mm-hmm. flying other aircraft. So, yeah. Man, so I'm yes. currently wondering this <laughs> the scenario of Rob, um, you like me could talk for a while. I don't, I don't have any, yeah, I'm on seven 30 here, so it's not that late, but yeah, it's about time for bed over here. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. So I and think I'm hitting a wall. I, it's like, I'm drinking right. heavy. Like I'm on beer yep. number six. Yep. I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling good. Let's keep going. It's like, Oh, it's time to go to bed <laughs> really quick. So I'm like 20 like, minute window. Right. I, so, so much for 10 minutes, which is like half an hour ago. Um, yeah, I assume if I hit the leave, then my uploads will be uploaded and then things are captured for recordings. But Scott wonders that every time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave the the window open. I just won't. I, yeah, the, you probably won't need to. Well, so it should say yeah. up there uploading. Nine, says mine says nine. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. you and I are good. But yeah, it's. I don't have Twitch or anything open, um, so I haven't not been looking at the chat for a while. I don't know Dude. if anyone's even around. I think there's still we got still six people saying probably presumably the same six people that have been in there forever, which is Rob is one of them. So and I'm one of them, I guess. Oh, cool. It says it's still um, recording, Rob. So we're at two hours and forty two minutes at this point right now. So um, um trying to pull I, up chat. Otherwise, if anyone has any rapid there's fire nothing going on. questions. Um otherwise I uh, I'll tap out for for you as well. No, yeah. I mean, and you can say in whatever. If you're early and you're still going strong, I, Rob can't tell me no. So it's like, whatever. I can't, obviously. Oh, Chris. I'm here because I can never um, catch a stream, so I'm enjoying it. Well, I'm glad you could make it. I'm glad we all touch base. I'm glad Tyler's checking this out and he can fill in because it's almost perfect because Rob dropped out, then it'd be just me, yeah, which would be over. So you're here, so maybe we added some content extra. For Rob to do something with, work some voodoo magic, make it something real realistic. If anybody else in the chat is anything or not, I don't even know who all is in there. Seems like seven, Rob's still here. Seven people Where'd now. Where'd you go, Rob? Forced his way into the podcast. Yeah, that's what Tyler did, as you can see. I'm just going to check yeah. my mic. But Hey, if anybody's here for helicopter questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> I had no choice. That's all right. That's all right. There's people that have those questions that have, I mean, just... Oh, Captain John, did we, I don't know, did we cover everything that you wanted? So, Chris from Utica, are you, you rated pilot? I saw you you, uh, coming from the career to go wash airplanes and getting involved in airplanes in the aviation realm. 
Rotor clowns. <laughs> nice. So I know your stance on helicopters, which is not uncommon. Yeah, I have. There's a guy I was pretty close with at one of the airlines. He was a rotorcraft um, transition guy. He's flying Apaches for the army or whatever. And he and I were pretty close, but they had a rotorcraft transition course, like a really accelerated program. It's very, very sharp. I have no idea. I never flew with him. Um, so I don't know anything about that, but as far as like regulatory and whatever, very, very sharp guy. Yeah. Chris, um, married kids. Yeah. I have twin daughters. They're 12 and they'll be in seven. We went to seventh grade orientation earlier, took the dog to the vet and the kids to the orientation all before this live stream. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it tonight to see it. So, um, looks like Rob's out. So that seems like a good cue to cut Leoff as well. Yeah, that may be. Okay. Thanks everybody in the chat. If you're still there, Tyler, yeah. thanks for filling in some gaps. Fun. We can do yeah. it. We, well, we need to get you in earlier in the thing. Yeah. And maybe we can talk about real weather this time. I thought we yeah. were going to talk what? about like cumulus mammatus. I had no idea I, what we were going to talk I, about. I kind of left my request kind of broad to see what would happen organically. And Not that, much. That's right. That's where I felt like Not. it it morphed into a scenario where it was a good podcast episode, just people free form discussing whatever versus like, and point one, two, three, four, five. Anyway, good stuff. Um, yeah. yeah thanks yeah. for having me. And then, uh, I'll always fill in now that I have an official mic. Thanks. Uh, ground crew. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll have to, I, I'm, I'm assuming next week or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Whatever I'm trying to get uh seaplane on the schedule so I can get recurrent with that and then have more ammunition to do a proper episode on that. So my memory, there you go on it, but, there you uh, go. Very good. All right, Lee, I'll see yeah. ya. All right, man. Take care. Have a good night. Yeah. Thanks, guys. See ya. It was rum, but I'm pretty sure it's whiskey. It's rum. Probably whatever it says I know on it's the side rum. of the can. Is probably no, he peeled the label off. Oh. Well, it, you got to have that nice. He peeled the label off, but logo. the but the the thing on the at the fine print at the bottom of the bottle says bottled in Kentucky. Yes. It's rum, though. I, I know it's fine. Rum is bottled in Kentucky. What kind of rum is bottled in Kentucky? It's only the, the best kind of rum yeah. known to rum in a can. Rum, rum in a can right. is what you find in Kentucky. Hold up the yeah. hold up the bottle. It it might have. Uh, no, it's a can. People rum. might recognize it's okay. It's a can. Oh, it's well. Well, I it came in a bottle. Can, I gave him a bottle of rum, a gallon of rum. Maybe it was a bottle. I thought it was a can. Oh, blah blah blah. blah. Okay. Are we good with weather? Oh, I need to pull See, He peeled the label <clears> off. <throat> yeah. It does have a picture of a boat on it, which would typically say rum, but yes. clipper ship. read somewhere on here it says bottled in Kentucky. Um, You can bottle rum in Kentucky. That's like not against the law. Oh, I see. Those. What you were holding up to the... Hold on, Scott. What you were holding up to the camera a minute ago was the same thing or no? No, no, no. I had it. I opened totally a can. Okay. This is what I was going to mix with it. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm mix, totally mix lost. I'm like, it's rum in a can. Scott. It's yeah, rum. I'm trying I to find where it says rum. Kentucky because I know it says Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Right here. Have you tried it Bottled yet? Bottled by somebody, something in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. Ooh. So the rum company distills yeah. in Kentucky or bottles no. in Kentucky. That's What's why I peeled the label off. So I would. No. Not know what it was, but it's. Actually you can tell whiskey. the difference between 
whiskey and rum, can't you? Yeah, I'm sure as soon as I open it, I'm going to smell it. Okay. We got chat going on. Lee, you in the chat? I'm I'm just delighted. I saw Chris from Utica. We, That's the first one I saw. Okay. We're we're uh <laughs> we're on uh, 122.75 on pilot ground, but we all moved over here to the the live stream. I imagine I figured that's exactly what would happen. Basically yep, just merging sense. the conversation right on over. But Twitch, the live <laughs> chat in Twitch works. So it's like I had two different chats going. It is wrong. I didn't know how, when did you when did you get in there? When did you start doing that? The Twitch? Yeah, the Twitch, yeah, the Twitch uh I just I had it up and I noticed for the love of right rudder uh, a new live stream viewer who's with us in the chat um, he had messaged me and I'm like oh we're not even live yet but it's going through and then Tyler figured out how to get in there too so Tyler and I were both on Twitch and on Pilot Ground chatting with everybody mm. but okay. uh, yeah we uh, what are we doing today topic wise. Uh, I Did guess popular demand is saying weather. Is there uh, anything specific on weather oh. or? Well, I don't know. I guess maybe start somewhere and build up. Tyler I, brought up. Um, I, Tyler Bronkhorst bought up. Brought up. Go ahead, Scott. I have a quick question that's aviation related okay. that we don't have to cover very well, long. But that, this is the uh, time. Let's. Well, yeah, fire my, away. My cousin, he's almost got his private, and he wants to go into aviation as a career and he was asking me what he should do from here and I said I don't know I said I'll ask Lee <laughs> is he is he willing to come on the show at some point oh I'm sure he would yeah I didn't even know you had a cousin I have lots of cousins I don't really see on the often, but... on the hind side no on the on the Boris side would okay. he come on with Gandhi so there'd be three Boris's at once. Probably. It'd be 50% Boris to other host ratio. Yeah, he probably would. But anyway. That sounds hmm. like it's not What's, in front of the podcast, Mike. I am. That, that was in the chat. Was, wasn't me saying it. I'm just sending out an email saying we're on live since we were can, so late. Can you hear so me? People to know, and then we will start. Can you guys hear me? We can hear you. We want yeah. to. Do. Oh, okay. I can't tell. Do the million taps on the mic thing that Rob did. See, let's just make sure. No. You're not on your no. mic, Scott. Uh-uh. <clears throat> Hit the little um, microphone button under the... And the software here, and it allows you to switch mics on the fly now. They updated the, the software. Used to not be able to do that. We got Tyler Brunkhorst quality control over here. It's great. I, I, I couldn't tell until he tapped on it. Well, I, after Tyler said something. I'm going to have to leave and come back. Okay. Great. Great. This is going well. One month away. Ponder. (laughs) Yeah, right. uh, Give me a second to ponder that conundrum with his cousin looking to get in aviation and not having a direction in mind. 
Rob, you want to talk about weather? How, how do you want to, how do you want to do this? Lee, you're you starting anywhere with now. that. Well, I haven't changed a damn thing. Still echoing? Am I oh, echoing? Echo. Negative, negative, negative. I'm echoing to myself. Not right. to me, me, me. It's still not working. Tap on it. Yeah, that's coming through the mic. Is it? Yeah, but then when you left, I started echoing to Rob, and Rob was echoing to uh, himself. So this is this, this is fun. This is a disaster. <laughs> well, you know, and Rob, I mean, it's been over a month since we've recorded. So right, working out yeah, the kinks again. Suck. Yeah, that's coming through the mic. Oh, I better turn the volume down. Yeah, turn that down. We on now? Yeah, we, I, I got think you. We're good now. Okay. Yeah. All right, we're, are we good? Is this thing stabilized? I think we're good. All right. I don't know. I think so.